Lynch. Welcome to the show. This week, a special episode devoted almost entirely to taking a look at the future of MBN pricing. Now, bear with me here for a minute. A little bit of context. For the last seven years, NBN has basically been negotiating its own prices with its RSPs and mostly in the form of discounted bundles, which have become the primary way that RSPs buy NBN services. This has all happened off tariff and also outside the remit of a regulatory regime because the special access undertaking, which governs how NBN does all its pricing, was last updated in 2013. Now, come to the present, there's uh, an effort from all parties involved, the government, the regulator and NBN, to do something about this, to adapt the special access undertaking to the new age and to do all the pricing negotiations through that vehicle. So that's where we're at this week. And kicking off that process, NBN released a major pricing paper um, where it proposed a number of options as to how it would construct its tariffs in the years going forward through this special access undertaking process. Uh, We spoke this week with the uh, Chief Legal and Regulatory Affairs Officer for NBN, Jane Van Bielen, and the Executive General Manager of Commercial Pricing, Ken Wallace from NBN, to go through these options. Here's what they had to say. So today we're kicking off NBN's engagement with the industry and the ACCC on some changes we're proposing to make to our SAU later this year. Um, you know, of course, that the SAU is NBN's regulatory framework, which provides certainty on key product and pricing issues for both NBN and the industry. Um, so there's three things we're trying to achieve with this variation. And the first is to enable us to implement long-term pricing reform. Uh, you will have seen in the papers, and you've already written about indeed, um, that we are really responding to feedback we've received from uh, RSPs, in our 2021 pricing review, uh, in sort of uh, putting out for consultation um, three sort of new long-term price constructs, uh, of which, as you pointed out, two uh, incorporate ABC only. Uh, so we're very much responding to RSP calls for uh, greater simplicity, cost certainty, also long-term price certainty by offering to put this new construct when it's settled into the SAU. Uh, and also we're responding to their, you know, ask that we basically implement pricing reform more quickly by merging the two processes. So you know we've been conducting this uh, pricing review and we've done um, a couple of rounds of consultation. This is the next stage of the long-term pricing review. Uh, but we had envisaged a sequential process to bury the SAU. Instead, we're pulling the two together uh, and very much uh, consulting with the ACCC and the RSPs um, all together. The other two things we're trying to do with the SAU variation is to expand its scope to cover the multi-technology mix. As you know, fibre to the node, curb and basement and HFC um, were introduced after the original SAU was accepted in 2013. And then we'll take the opportunity to make a few other targeted modifications to other terms of the SAU. We think the proposals we've put on the table are a really strong set of options and they certainly respond to feedback that we've received. But we do remain open to feedback and we're genuinely seeking that, um, including being open to alternative approaches or variations on these constructs. 
provided that we, you know, maintain a regulatory framework that gives us the opportunity to generate sufficient returns on our investment that we can continue to invest in the network, which of course is recognised as a critical national asset. Uh, and, you know, ultimately we want to continue to invest for the long-term benefit of customers. So we see this as an opportunity to work really collaboratively with the retailers and the ACCC to create a framework that meets the industry's needs, NBN's needs, uh, and most importantly can deliver great outcomes for customers. Because we've all got a role to play in making sure that the broadband market is keeping pace with their changing needs and can continue to develop for the nation and position us for its digital future. Ken and I are happy to take questions, which I'm sure you've got. Okay. Um, I wanted to, to go through the three pricing options that NBN has proposed. And I wanted to start with the one that NBN appears to be least keen on, which is a flat ABC-only construct. And, of course, NBN's got the research from Accenture that is saying, well, this has some very negative outcomes for the um, lower socioeconomic demographic. Can you talk me through what those negative um, aspects are and, and why it's the least favoured of the three options? Thanks, Graham. Uh, so I think, firstly, it's probably important to note that any pricing approach has pros and cons. And what we're wanting to do, first and foremost, through the consultation, as we did with the pricing discussion paper as well, was to, to draw out the pros and cons and importantly get feedback from the retailers on those um, with the different types of construct options that we have. So at this point, we're not saying that we have a preference um, for a particular construct. What we're seeking to do is to propose the three ways and broad ways we think it could go, although we do say in the paper as well we're open to other ideas, um, provide some specificity around those to help the industry to comment on them and to draw out some of the issues with those. And you're right, in terms of construct three, there are, as I say, pros and cons, and there are some disadvantages um, from that type of approach, and we've particularly drawn out, and we wanted to get some advice on, which is why we got Accenture involved, to understand the implications of that for low data use and more entry-level customers, because that's an important consideration for any construct that we choose, but, you know, importantly, for one like um, that third construct. For, for the other um, options, you've got a reducing CBC overage charges to $6 from $8, and another one where no CBC would apply on 100 megs and above services. What's what's the thinking between that delineation there, and, and what do you see as the pros and cons of those two options? For sure. So... I think firstly with the construct one, uh, it's focused on, as you say, reducing that overage rate, reducing it by 25% to reduce the, the relative recovery and the rel relative variability that you get uh, with that overage rate and then you're rebalancing with slightly higher pricing for the ABC. So it's a continuation obviously of the current approach but with a level of rebalancing in it and responding to the uh, RSP feedback that we've had today um, in terms of reducing that variability. Although, of course, as, as with more generally all the constructs, the other part that we're particularly responding to the retailers on is the idea that that would then go into the SAU variation and that's something that they've been seeking for long-term certainty as well. In terms of then comparing that to the second construct where, as you say, it's got a the CVC still for the 12, 25 and 50 meg, 
um, and then and then no zero dollar CBC or ABC only um, at the hundred meg and above. It really is drawing out that issue that I touched on before, where um, you know the implications of having a full zero dollar CBC. Uh, across the board is that it does have implications in terms of price increase for uh, more entry level, more data, low data use customers. Um, and having that approach where there's still the CBC for those three lower speeds provides greater flexibility to, for the RSPs to go in and, uh, you know, to offer the similar types of services that they're offering now to those customers. And then when they're moving to 100 meg, you know, we can already see that the higher speed tiers, as you would expect, tend to be the higher data usage customers. They're the ones who are looking to get more out of broadband uh, on average. And that's also where the advantages of having a $0 CBC would also be greater as well. So it provides that way forward for the, for the retailers and they could think about how they position their plans accordingly around that. So how, do, how does a, um, an ABC-only product work in practice? Is there any contention at all on capacity? I mean, presumably it can't be unfettered. So, so what, in practice, what type of technical contention would apply on an ABC-only product? Yeah, so you're quite right. I mean, that is a question, the, perform- the underlying performance that we would guarantee and support in a situation where the CBC wasn't there. That's actually a question that we ask in the discussion paper and we're very um, interested to hear from the retailers on their thoughts on that level of performance as well. Uh, But you're right, it is an important consideration and it is something that we will need to think through depending on the type of construct that we ultimately go with. Um, But obviously also, as I say, informed by the retailers and what they're thinking would be, what they're seeking to get as well, you know, when they provide that type of feedback. Okay, now with the SAU itself, I mean, these um, pricing options that have been talked about are obviously changes from the status quo. How will it work in, say, two years, five years' time if you want to make changes again? Is, is there a, a mechanism in the variation that's been proposed that enables you to do that and go back to the RSPs and discuss these things? Yes, we're, we're proposing something along those lines, Graham. So um, in the paper, we, we only briefly mentioned, but... We do envisage there would need to be a periodic price review. Um, You may know that under Module 2 of the SAU, um, replacement modules are lodged every three to five years to update the RAV. And so we envisage that there um, could be an opportunity to effectively merge those processes and conduct a price review in parallel with that. There need to be some fixed principles, of course, because ultimately the purpose of the SAU is to provide some regulatory certainty for both NBN and retailers, um, but within appropriate principles, uh, we see an opportunity to do a price review periodically. That's so really just um, some information, Graham, to support an open discussion. Okay. Now, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about, there's quite a conceptual leap here, it seems. To, to date, NBN has had its set of listed tariffs, which are comparatively high, and then it's mainly been bringing bundles to market, and that's how it earns most of its revenues, that are, in a sense, off-tariff. You know, they're, they're lumped in the sort of discount, rebates, and offers category. Now, it seems to me that you're, you want to take the, these bundle prices and, and make them the official listed tariffs um, in future. Does that give MBN less flexibility in the future in terms of uh, reacting to short-term market requirements? Absolutely. 
Um, and basically, we are, you're right, we've priced below our regulated tariffs, um, you know, in response to um, various market pressures. Um, so in a sense, the, the fact that we're here is a good news story, but uh, the RSPs have pointed to the unpredictability of pricing for that reason, because we're way below the regulated prices. Um, what we're offering to do is effectively to put into the SAU um, the, the, the chosen bundle construct once it's been, you know, um, settled upon, and that may be what one of the ones in the paper, or it may be a variation that you know uh, comes out of the consultation. But yet we're offering to put that into the SAU. Um, we are proposing that there'll be a price indexation on it because, of course, we do lose um, the flexibility associated with CBC uh, in order to well, the, the, the ability that CBC gives us to um, effectively uh, generate additional revenues from increased usage of the network over time, and importantly to cover the costs of expanding the capacity of the network over time. So instead we're proposing a price indexation. So yes, we are going to have more regulatory constraint, but both we and the retailers would have greater regulatory certainty, um, and so there's a bit of a trade-off there. I was just going to add to that, that one of the devices MBN has been using recently is to use the increased CVC inclusions to make the higher speed tiers more attractive and promote migration. In a sense, that option would seem to be lost or at least diluted under this new no CVC pricing regimen. Uh, so I think you're right in that it, at the moment the, the bundles do have establish a framework in which the RSPs can feel more confident and, um, you know, when they think about the pooling effect of CBC, we'll obviously seek on in cases to to push the higher speed tiers. I think that those dynamics still exist, certainly in constructs one and two. Um, and in fact, in construct two, it may create a, a different dynamic for RSPs that um, in terms of you know heavy users of the network, they may look to encourage those types of customers to go into higher speeds because of the zero dollar CBC. So there, there would be something that you would expect the retailers to think about with that type of construct and where they're looking to um, make particular offers for their customers. Um, and in fact, you know, again, that's something that we're looking forward to hearing from the retailers on their, their thoughts on how how a construct like that. Uh, would work for them. When you get to something like an ABC only approach, uh, you know, the construct three, uh, you, you, that CBC dynamic with the pool um, CBC does drop away. You're right in terms of that in, impact that it has on higher speed tiers. Um, but of course, you know, that doesn't mean that as an industry, we still wouldn't be looking to um, provide good incentives for customers to go into high speeds who, you know, may need it for the different uses that they want. Continue to keep customers informed about the types of speeds that are best suitable for their needs as well. Okay, my final question is regarding uh, what happens from here. What, what's the timeline from here to see this through to completion? So the ACCC is going to host a forum with retailers and NBN um, in mid-June, Graham, um, and uh, they are looking to bring together, you know, all parties to have a conversation both about the pricing and about the SAU. Um, we want to continue to um, consult. So this is, you know, first phase of consultation on the SAU. It's a second phase of consultation on long-term pricing. Um, 
But, you know, you can see there's sort of three parts to the SAU variation. The pricing one, you know, uh, we obviously just need to settle what we're doing before we can settle how we might finally reflect that in the SAU. Uh, on the MTM variation, um, we've got one we prepared earlier, so we are, you know, almost ready to consult uh, on that and we'll, you know, kick off, uh, we'll share a draft of that uh, proposal after the forum. Um, and likewise, with the targeted modifications, um, while they are uh, new, they shouldn't be particularly controversial and we ought to be able to consult on those shortly after the forum. Um, so what we're hoping to do is consult uh, and then lodge the variation having taken on board all the feedback, uh, including from the ACCC themselves, um, by the end of the year. They still have to run a process which they have six months to run. Um, and as you know, the clock stops uh, when they ask for information and they are able to extend the time as well. Um, but we're hoping that all this consultation before we lodge will help um, you know, make this process as expeditious as possible. And of course, having pulled forward the commencement of the SAE discussion and melded it with the pricing consultation, um, we think we've taken some time out of the, out of the timeline. Okay, now mid-June is next week. Has the ACCC actually proposed an exact date yet? Um, yeah, they have. They have. I, I guess it's, I don't want to be delivering bad news. That's all. So it is. It is next Friday the eighteenth. Oh, okay. So they're actually. Oh, it's in the release. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, that's the right. Yeah, Graham. Yeah, they've actually. They're, so they actually have set a date. Okay, great, fantastic. Okay, well, look. Thank you very much for um, explaining all of this um, for Comms Day. We really do appreciate it. And I'm guessing we might have some more conversations as the months go on and, and the process continues. I suspect that's right. <laughs> that's right, there, right? <laughs>
Let's hear all about it. Yeah, so this is actually, this has got a lot of coverage. So the short version is that the FBI and the Australian Federal Police um, basically operated this encrypted chat app called Anom as part of a long-running sting operation. And that's led to like, you know, hundreds of arrests in Australia, uh, thousands elsewhere around the world. There's going to be more probably. Um, there's about 9,000 police officers globally involved in these investigations. So essentially it was like really an OTT um, style, like WhatsApp style encrypted app um, uh, offering that um, uh, the FBI and AFP were essentially operating. So I've been reading some of the FBI court documents that have been unsealed since the story first um, broke, and they kind of like they laid this really interesting story, which you may remember back in 2018. There was the kind of um, the US busted up Phantom Secure, which offered a kind of very similar um, encrypted messaging um, handset used by criminal groups. So after that happened, the FBI recruited someone who was actually um, an informant who had been distributing phantom secure devices as well as like a similar devices from another company called Sky Global. Um, but they were actually developing what uh, the FBI des- describes as a next generation encrypted comms platform and basically have to turn it over to the FBI to actually help their investigations. Um, so what the FBI and this informant um, and the AFP did was they set it up so that each message sent over the, pro- over the platform could actually be decrypted by a master key. And this is where the FBI kind of recruited the AFP to help them with the whole operation. So they developed this system where each message was blind carbon copied to what they describe as an iBot server outside the US. And I'm guessing that was actually in Australia operated by the AFP. So once it hit that server, it was decrypted using the master key, then re-encrypted and flicked off to the to an FBI server. So that, that's kind of like interesting interesting role for the FP there. The other interesting Australian connection is that Australia was actually um, kind of the site of the beta testing of this whole concept where they, um, you know, this informant uh, from the FBI recruited a bunch of kind of local influencer criminals or alleged criminals for um, a, a beta test and distributed, um, distributed the devices here just to prove the concept that they could actually entrap people this way, essentially. Um, and actually, the final interesting thing is the AFP has said that the TOLA legislation was used, but they haven't actually spelled out how. So it's kind of like we might get more details about that emerging, but it'd be quite interesting because it'd be a very high-profile use of it, if that's the case. Okay, well, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much, Rowan. Cheers. That's it for Combs Day Live this week. See you next time.